I'm Roy Sharples and welcome to the Unknown Origins podcast. Why are you listening to this podcast? Are you an industry expert looking for insights? Are you growing your career? Or are you a dear friend helping to spur your old pal on? I created the Unknown Origins podcast to have the most inspiring conversations with creative industry personalities and experts about entrepreneurship, pop culture, art, music, film, and fashion. Culture catalysts make the invisible visible. They work behind the scenes to curate and influence a movement by assembling, cataloging, managing, and presenting the artistic and cultural importance of media, publications, and other expression venues. Fearless, charismatic, and bold risk-takers see around the corner, embrace and expose unusual and unexpected themes and sources, and make bold statements about their passions and beliefs. Berry Gordy did precisely this for Motown. Brian Epstein did it with the Beatles. Andrew Oldham with the Rolling Stones. Andy Warhol with the Velvet Underground, Malcolm McLaren with the Sex Pistols, and Tony Wilson with Factory Records. These mavericks' passion for their craft paid off because they never feared provoking action that changed minds and created a cultural movement. Alan McGee is a music industry entrepreneur, record label owner, and artist manager. He founded Creation Records in 1983 and nurtured multiple influential artists, including The Jesus and the Mary Chain, Primal Scream, My Bloody Valentine and Oasis and brought them to the masses. Hello and welcome, Alan. So what attracted you to becoming a record label and artist manager in the first place? It was a gradual process, uh, man. It was like... um it was, it started, I was just a music fan. Um, never liked managers, to be honest, when I was growing <laughs> up, where, you know, and like, you know, I sort of became what I, what I despised. <laughs> hopefully I'm not the same as that, hopefully I'm not the same as that person, but that's kind of what, what I stuck. I hated that whole manager thing. And, um, you know, I found them pompous and a ridiculous people. Um, and then I kind of, Came to London to be a punk pop star sort of thing and was in bands, yeah. played around London. And then I kind of started a club at the same time and it started selling out. This was about 1982 or 83, something like that. I was about 21. And I'd come down to London when I was 19. And um, and and I suddenly I realised I was quite good at kind of what nobody else was really that good at which was, was making it happen for everybody else I was like oh and that was the first sign that I was actually an entrepreneur I had no idea and then I and then I you know I, I, I just banned the Jesus and Mary chain I rocked up and um, you know you know they were amazing and uh, I was just like oh you know can I I don't even think I said, can I be a manager? I said, can I put your records out? And they went, yes. I went, all right. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I started putting their records out and uh, I put one single out and it absolutely, completely fucking blew up. Uh, and 
immediately the majors were on them, but they were such awkward people. They, they still are, actually, but they were really awkward when they were young, like really, like, you know, quite shy, awkward, yeah. cantankerous, you know, I mean, like random as fuck. And I was the only person that could kind of deal with it because that was what my family and my friends were like in Glasgow. So they were just like typical Glasgow kids that were just yeah. a bit fucking yeah. mental. So I started to become their manager. And uh, one of the first things I did was I phoned up the head of Warner Brothers and said, uh, I've got this band. I think we were like just starting to break in the NME and stuff like that. And he went, oh, you're that Alan McGee. They'd kind of vaguely heard of this little guy that was pretty bullshit. He was about 22. And uh, I said, you know, I said, oh, do you want and this the head of the publishing company said do you want to publish the band and I went how much do you want and I just guessed and I went 60 I didn't even know what publishing was if I was being <laughs> honest with you. I had no idea what it really meant right but I knew you could get money for it and I said oh 60 and he went well I was thinking more like 20 I went what about 40 and he went yup and I went deal done and then I put the phone down and I realised I just made 8,000 pounds and, uh, and, and I was like fuck that was easy that was fucking easy and that was the beginning of it you know what I mean Metropolis's inspire creativity as a space for social integration dreaming making and doing and Glasgow is certainly no exception to that philosophy as a creative city and once being the second city of the industrial revolution how much did that dreamer maker and doer ethos influence your makeup Alan I think it probably taught me how to survive that's probably definitely you know survive Glasgow yeah but the truth is if I lived in Glasgow they would fucking hate me do you know what I mean <laughs> they only like me up there because I don't live there especially in the 90s yeah when I was like the big when I kind of was the biggest thing for a couple of years Glasgow would not have been able to put up with me really at that point <laughs> but they kind of the fact that I was big in London they, they loved that because it was one of their own, wasn't it? And, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, so it, I mean, I, I couldn't go back to Glasgow, man. I'd not to live, you know, no way. Yeah. I mean, I've left 40 years ago and I'm a Londoner, really. That's the yeah. truth. You live in America, don't you? I do, Alan, yeah. So I, Whereabouts? I, live, um, I live in Seattle. Right. Well, there you go. So it's like, you know, you know, you've left Scotland well behind as well, mate. It's like, yeah. it, it's in us, but equally. There's a breed of Scottish people, I really believe this, that go out and kind of conquer for Scotland in a, a mad, mad way. Yeah. And I suppose that's what me and Bobby and Ennis did. That's yeah. the scream, you know what I mean? And I suppose that's, we, you know, and us and a lot of people like that, like Simple Minds and, yeah. you know, a lot of people went out and conquered, you know, and brought, brought the glory home. But at the end of the day, a lot of them now... You know, I haven't lived in Glasgow for 40 fucking years, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. George Orwell said, The English are not happy unless they are miserable. The Irish are not at peace unless they are at war. And the Scots are not at home unless they are abroad. That dynamic could be said about many civilizations, Though cultural idiosyncrasies do exist. And there is a deep historic and peculiar clan rivalry, even hatred that exists in Scotland 
beyond the sectarian divide in Glasgow. You know, people um, from Glasgow opposing people from Edinburgh, Dundonians against Aberdonians and, and, and so forth. It was worse than that for me, and I think it's worse than that for everybody. I mean, it was my family that were putting me down I, more than anybody at school or anything like that. My uh, fucking father was a bully. Uh, um, uh, you know, I mean, you know, it, it was like, you know, an ugly little cunt, you know, battered me, put me in hospital, you know, t- oh. told me I was never going to get a girlfriend, you know that, you know what I mean? Which oh. probably made me a fucking major womanizer for about 20 years when I was a kid, <laughs> do you know what I mean? And it was like, and, and sh- nobody deserves that off their fucking oh. family. And I'm not saying I got it that bad, because I know a lot of people got it fucking miles worse than that. But I'm just saying that it's something about that's, you know what, it's, there's a lot of Scottish stuff that I hate about that stuff, do you know what I mean? But maybe yeah. that's not just peculiar to Scotland, do you know what I mean, you know? What is your approach to creativity and your creative process, both as an artist manager and label manager? I think it's a different scene with every di- different human being, do you know yeah. what I mean? And, and even in my own role as a manager and as a label, it's changed so much. When I was a kid... I knew every, I, I, I did, when creation started in 82, 83, right, I did every single job. And I mean every job. I did mm. the royalties. I, I, you know, I, I was the one that created the, the deal, the 50-50 profit split deal. I understood the whole thing. I could produce the records. I could master the records. I could design the sleeves. Uh, I, I did the distribution deal. I did the press release. I actually did the press at one point. I did the radio promo for what it was worth, although we barely ever get played in the radio. So by the time I got to massive success and I had the biggest band in the world in the mid-90s, I knew I knew everybody else's job, right? Yeah. Now, I've got children, not children, I've got little kids teaching me the internet and I'm, I'm no, no better than anybody else my age. Do you know what I mean? I'm yeah. like, do you know what I mean? I'm, 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 clumsy with it do you know what I mean and it just means that life is a fluid situation that changes and you kind of got to try and go along with it I'm not saying I'm doing that great a job at going along with it I don't think I fucking am to be honest but but uh, digital analog to digital has changed the world I mean I said to uh, you know Noel Gallagher the other night you, you'll all know right um, and I, I talked to him most days and I just went Oh, you know, I'm struggling with the digital. And he's like one of the biggest stars in fucking the world. And he went, me too. He's yeah. fucking struggling with it. We're all struggling <laughs> with it. Men of a certain age, over 50, I would yeah. say, are struggling with it. You know what I mean? Right. Social media has had an omnipresent impact on people. You know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, LinkedIn have become the fabric of our lives and allowing people to share stories about their everyday experiences and build their personal brand around their passions, beliefs, and activities. And since learning how to use the internet in the 1990s, we've evolved and internalized it by making it part of our our social routine. And numerous industries and professions have been disrupted, reimagined, reinvented, or even abandoned. I mean, take take journalism as as one example. It has seen a rapid move to media by the masses by having countless contributions from non-journalists. And one regularly reads the social reviews and the commentary rather than the story itself, which then begs a question, who's in control now? Who actually is the journalist? And then specific to the music industry, 
Apple and Spotify changed the way we purchase and consume music through digital streaming, and traditional record companies failed failed to adapt to the digital revolution. Companies like Apple have cleaned up shop and took over the market by becoming the legal online market leader through their iTunes download service that provides access to millions of songs for a, for a monthly subscription fee. Very different to how it was uh, growing up um, in the, the years that preceded that, Alan. What are the critical skills needed as an artist and label manager? As an artist... You've just got to commit to it. And as, a, as an entrepreneur, a manager, label boss, you just can't give in. You, I mean, I suppose that's one of my most enduring qualities, really, that I just don't... You know, I'm the horrible little fucker in the schoolyard that you punch 20 times <laughs> in the face. And I get up and still butter fuck out you at the end of it. <laughs> and, uh, and that's just me. And that's maybe why I have succeeded. Because I've been... Situation took fucking years, man, to become successful. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Took, I mean, when we got success, it was absolutely fucking monumental success. But it took about took me twelve years of running a record label to have the biggest band well, in the world. But it took me twelve years. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, of course. You need talent and technical excellence in your craft to perform at what you do. But achieving greatness, achieving excellence is more than that. It is about having the relentless intensity and focus, the desire, the resilience and the persistence uh, to, to, to never give up and to achieve the highest levels um, of performance within your respective craft and domain. It was weird recreation. We kind of got the ones that nobody else wanted, yeah. except I could see something in them. And we polished them up. I mean, like, I mean that from the Valentines to Oasis to, to Primal Scream. These were bands that nobody really wanted, you know. I mean, Oasis is a little bit different. And by the time that Oasis came to me, and I and I had a lot of success with Primal Scream at that point, my buddy Valentine. Yeah. Uh, there was two or three like U2's record company. U2 were on it, and uh, Godis were on it. So that's a little bit different. But Primal Scream, nobody wanted them. My Bloody Valentine, nobody wanted them. Uh, the Mary Chain, nobody wanted them. That was, do you know what I mean? We yeah, just go yeah. right through that. Yeah. And it was like always things that nobody else wanted, but I actually I saw something in it that... And then it became a thing, like the creation sound, do you know what I mean? And then it, I suppose it was like, it was our thing, you know? That is an innate talent, to be able to see the unseen. I think it was Bowie who said, tomorrow belongs to those who can hear it coming. And having the ability to follow your instincts and tastes and to foresee future trends in music and fashion. What you did, Alan, with creation was to create a movement that was a specific sound and look that defined a generation encompassing ideals, sensibilities, that was a reaction against prior movements and transcended the routine and status quo, which had grown uniform and monotonous, which influenced art, fashion, music, popular culture, and similar to other sociocultural movements that preceded it, such as mod, Northern Soul and Acid House. I'll tell you what it was, right? It was dead simple, right? Uh, when we started in 1983, 
we were a joke, right? We we were perceived as a joke, right? Then I signed about two years later, I signed to Jesus and Mary Chain, and it's people vaguely started taking it seriously, but the label was still a joke. Then it got to about 1988, and I signed to Valentine's in the House of Love, and it started becoming a hip indie thing. So that took me about five years of doing a label before we became cool, right? So then we were a cool indie thing. And that went on for about another five years, six years. Uh, and then uh, Oasis came along, 94, smashed it. And then we became the mainstream. But we first of all became, first of all, we were a joke. Then we were the big indie thing. And then in the mid-90s, man, we were the, we were the cultural thing of Britain. Do you know what I mean? When we were doing Nebworth with Oasis, that was, we were the culture for about 18 yeah. months. Do you know what I mean? And uh, it's, but you know what? The truth is, with Oasis, it's a good good case in point, really. With Oasis, it's not because I was clever. I only follow one thing. Do I like it? Right? And what happened with Oasis was everything, if you were going on fucking logic, you would never have signed Oasis right. because Ma because Manchester, when it happened, the Mondays and the Roses had happened and petered out by the end of 91. This was May 93. I signed Oasis because I just thought, this is good. I know it's untrendy. At that time, it was fucking untrendy. Yeah. It was a mad Chester band in 1993, but I just thought they're really good at it. I was going to sign them. And then, fucking lo and behold, it, it really blew up. But I, it was only because I liked music. It was only because I believed in it, you know what I mean? What's your lessons learned, Alan, based on the pitfalls to avoid and the keys to success that you can share with aspiring label and artist managers? I just think keep going. Just keep going. You know, whatever happens, if you want to do it, keep going. Because every fucker's going to tell you why you can't do it, but you just got to keep going, you know. Um, what did I do wrong? I got most of it fucking right, most of it. But I didn't get it all right, man. Do you know what I mean? If I'd, you know, like, if I'd got it all right, you know, I would be worth 200 million instead of 20 million, mate. Yeah. So there you go. On that note, I'll let you be. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it. That's a great point, Alan, about not following a conventional path structure or formula and, like you say, bucking the, the, the logic and just following your instinct and your desire and believing in it. What's your vision? For the future of music, I don't know, man. I don't know if people want bands anymore. Yeah, but I, I think the truth is, I just, I'm the biggest fucking believer in rock and roll bands ever, right? But you get a laptop, you can fuck about with it in your little fucking flat for five years and make an impeccable sounding album. Yeah. Do you really need a band? I'm not sure you do, and I think that's it's like steam trains to electric trains. Do you know what yeah. I mean? I mean. You know, we might all love steam trains, we might all love rock and roll bands, but are they needed when you can get an electric train? And yeah. I think maybe that's the fucking problem, you know? That's so true. It's an increasingly technology-mediated world, changing how we live, learn, work, and get things done. And it's blurred the boundaries between physical and virtual life. And I think with most things as well, what it's driven is the need for convenience and accessibility I had mentioned to a friend of mine, Brian Mackay, that I was potentially doing a podcast with you, Alan, and he asked if I could 
gauge your perspective around how do artists try and get a decent deal from Spotify? And also, given the financial impact for smaller independent bands when touring abroad, thanks to Brexit, what does the future look like for rock and roll? It's, it looks shit. I mean, it's like Spotify's a disgrace. It doesn't pay. It doesn't pay through at all uh, to the the artists, the labels, the producers, the bands. I mean, it's terrible. Um, and Brexit's a fucking nightmare. The only reason that nobody's freaking out in rock and roll about Brexit is nobody can go and tour at this point. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I was just looking at the paper just before you 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 were online. I was looking at it online before you you called really, and I. Uh, I think the spike is up to 12,000 cases a day. I, I, I've got four musicians last week got COVID, all separate. The, the, the singer in cast, the the drummer in cast, that's a band I manage, yeah. and two of the clockworks, a little band I've got on my label, all last week got COVID. And the guy that works as a bookkeeper for a lot of things that I do, somebody in his office went down. That's five people I know last week got COVID. And they're trying to say it's they're trying to say it's went away. I'm not sure it has, Jordan. Creativity will continue to be the difference humans make in the future. Intelligent technologies are increasingly able to expedite the majority of roles a human can. Will the future of music be where humans will work in unison with artificial intelligence or the technological equivalent? Robots have already multiplied productivity and replaced humans in many work lines, just as the automobile replaced horses, dramatically impacting life and society. A plane can be flown without a pilot, cars and trains driven without a driver, brain surgery without a doctor, fleets of vehicles produced without factory workers. Freeing up humans to perform more creative and self-fulfilling roles that have yet not to be defined. Let's hope it is applied ethically and responsibly in the music industry that propels the opportunities for the creatives in an artist-led way. You have been listening to the Unknown Origins podcast. Please follow, subscribe, rate and review us. For more information, go to unknownorigins.com. Thank you for listening. 